Good morning, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm part of the lead team. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 49. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're not in your sins. Then those who have, been, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has not put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the people are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you, saw, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from the star in glory. But it is with resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a, spirit, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the supernatural. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those that are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Thanks, Dan. You know, it makes sense now as to why the scripture was so long, because he read last week's scripture as well. I did? 
Yeah, you read like the whole chapter. I have no idea what was going on there. But then I was like, I'm not stopping him because this is awesome. Yeah. No, no, it was 35 through 49. But yeah, it was good. It was, it was a good, solid Bible reading. Can we have a round of applause for I mean, wow, that was... <laughs> I was going to stop because I was like, whoa, he's in the wrong... And I was like, oh no, I wonder if he'll keep going. Oh, he's, he's going. But out of all fairness, I was coming out. If you went past... 49. I was going to be like, all right, enough. I don't know what's happening here, but it's getting intense. All right. So it's always fun. It's a good time. We are, uh, we're continuing our series called To What End? To What End? And uh, the title this morning is Transformations. Transformations. And so we're continuing in our series on uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, we're actually wrapping up the, fir- uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, which we're super excited about uh, at the end of this series. And uh, if you haven't been with us for this series, uh, just to let you know, give you a heads up, the author of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. And so throughout this morning's message, you might hear me refer to Paul or the Apostle Paul. If I do that, that's who I'm referring to, so you can kind of uh, connect the dots, if you will. I was thinking uh, a lot about... Uh, how it was that I could communicate and articulate, connect some of the dots this morning. And I thought of a lot of um, moments in my life where I've kind of avoided uh, difficulty or when things got hard, I kind of uh, leaned back a little bit. Not because uh, I'm not willing to, to work hard. It's just at some point you sort of evaluate, like, is this worth it? To what end, if you will? And um, I've done some hiking. And if you've been with us any amount of time, you've probably heard me refer uh, to doing some high peaks um, in the Adirondacks. And so there was one time in particular that I did uh, a high peak. I did a winter summit. We did giant in the winter. And uh, if you've never done that, I recommend you not. Uh, It was beautiful. It was amazing. Like, it was incredible. And I'm so glad I did it. I will never do it again. Uh, We also picked a ridiculously cold day. We were about 10 feet into the woods at the trailhead, and our water lines flash froze. And we're like, wow, how are we going to do this? Um, We ended up putting uh, the uh, nozzles inside of our shirt, and that would keep them, uh, you know, not frozen for the rest of the day. When we summited, it was actually 45 below. And uh, I took my glove off to take a picture and almost lost a finger. It got kind of gray and black. It was fun. It's great, yeah? So if you haven't hiked, just go for it. Uh, so there was one time in particular as we were summiting, um, we were kind of going through. We had snowshoes on, the whole schmazola. And uh, as we're going up, we get to this place. And if you've done any amount of, of hiking, it happens often specifically uh, in the Adirondacks, depending on the high summit or the peak that you're doing. Um, it's called a false summit. You get to the top and you're like, I made it. And uh, as you're sitting there all excited, like we made great time. This was incredible. Then somebody like looks at the map and they're like, yeah, this, this is uh, not the top. You're like, are you sure? It feels like the top. I'm tired enough for it to be the top and it is gorgeous out here. And so I remember one time in particular, as we were summiting giant, we broke through the tree line, absolutely beautiful smell. Like you just, it smells like Christmas trees. It's just amazing. And uh, we're tired and we're going behind our pace. We break out into this opening to this clearing and we're on this summit and we're just elated. A couple of us are elated. There were three of us. Two of us were elated. Um, one of us says, oh, wait, is this a false summit? And I'm thinking, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You know, <laughs> no, no, this is the top. I'm sure of it. And uh, we're looking at this beautiful view. And one of them's like, uh, no, this is one of a couple of false summits we're going to hit. I was like, no, this is, this is good enough. 
this is good enough. <laughs> if you've ever been there, like you're looking around, you're like, I will like the view no greater if I get higher. <laughs> I will only be more tired and more uh, angry. And so we're going to go with this view. It's incredible. And so there was a, a real moment, a real conversation of like, are we, are we done? Like, is this high enough? And we start talking about it. And uh, the guy that's with us that had summited it before, not in the winter, but uh, in the summer, he said, uh, he starts talking about how far you can see when you get to the, the summit. It's like, I mean, this is a great view, but you can actually see this range and that range. And he starts to talk about how far you can see. And you can, you can almost see sections of Vermont in the distance. And we're like, what? He's like, oh, it's incredible. And so he just starts casting vision about what it could be if we just press a little bit further. We've come this far. How can we come this far and not go the rest of the way? And you're like, oh, you know that moment when something happens inside of you, like we're going to the top, aren't we? Like this is happening. And uh, all of a sudden we went from this place of uh, contentedness, uh, if that's the right word, to being discontent. And all of a sudden this view was not good enough. This view was uh, as incredible as it was. It just wasn't as incredible as he was articulating. And so all of a sudden we said, you know what? We're going to move forward. We're going to do this. We're going to press on. And so we made the decision to move forward and to summit uh, Giant. And when we got to the top, it was everything that he said it would be and so much more. It was incredible. But it was a moment of casting vision into our lives where we were no longer content where we are and we were compelled to move forward. And so I want you to consider this question as we move forward this morning. The question I want to ask you is, why do we try to shield ourselves from difficulty? Why do we try to shield ourselves from difficulty? And the reason I bring that question before you this morning is because difficulty happens in this life. And we often try to shield ourselves. When things get hard, we say, you know what? I think this is good enough. I think we've come far enough. I mean, this is amazing. Let's just kind of settle here. At face value, the question kind of seems to have an obvious answer, right? Why do we shield ourselves from difficulty? Well, we try to shield ourselves from difficulty as a form of protection, right? I mean, it's just kind of common sense. In fact, it almost seems admirable and right. Like when things get hard, protect yourself. If things get too uncomfortable, get away from it. If the kitchen's too hot, get out right? <laughs> Some of you will connect that dot later. Like, what? He said a kitchen. I don't understand. Were you here when Dan read too much? That was awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I want to I ask you for a second, if you, if you can stay in that headspace for a moment and just think, is difficulty always bad? If you think about it, is difficulty always bad? I mean, almost anything you try for the first time is difficult, right? So no one, no, uh, one could say that to avoid difficulty is to avoid growth. If you think about it, right? If, if you're exercising, things get hard before your muscles grow. And if you're like, you know what? I think I feel good with the way I look now. Like, that's fine, but you're not going to experience growth. And so you could say, if you're going to avoid difficulty, you're going to avoid growth, We do that with our kids, too. For those of us that have kids, we think sometimes the answer is to protect, to isolate, to shelter. And so we say, listen, we're doing them a favor, but really what we're doing is we're helping them avoid difficulty, and in essence, we're causing them to avoid growth. We're causing them to avoid something that might stretch them. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. 
say, I don't want to be stretched any further. This is hard enough. This is difficult enough. Uh, one of the things that uh, my wife Meredith will, will say, uh, especially in, the, in this season, she has said it, and I think it's uh, simple and yet profound, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Right? And I think sometimes we equate hard, we equate difficult with bad. Let's avoid it. This is getting difficult. We've worked hard enough. Look at the view. It's amazing. Let's stay here. I want to submit to you that the areas of our lives where we avoid difficulty are the areas of our lives that we lack vision. Think about that for a second. The areas of our lives that we avoid difficulty are the areas of our lives that we lack vision. That moment you're, you're at this false summit and because you don't have vision or capacity behind what it is you see right now, you say, it's hard to move forward. It's too difficult. And so therefore, it's not worth it. I can't have a guarantee that this is moving towards something better or greater. And so therefore, I'm going to disengage because the journey's hard. And I think hard is bad. I've worked with and, and even uh, trained business leadership coaches and uh, Part of their role as business and leadership coaches is to, to help people envision their preferred future. And the reason why they spend so much time saying, where is it that you want to be? And some of the language you'll hear is like, you're on a boat and you're headed to the perfect ideal island. What does that island look like? Explain it to me. And so there's all these different tactics that they use to, and I don't mean tactics in a negative way. I mean it in a very good way, in a clear way. They're saying, listen, what is your preferred future? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? Who are you at your best? And the reason why they spend so much time doing that is because vision drives change. Without vision, we just remain where we are. Good enough. And so it's vision that actually starts to push us outside of our comfort zone. It's the idea of, I can't settle for a lesser version of one, my one and only life. I can't settle for a lesser variation of my marriage, of my workplace. So I'm going to do the work necessary. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to lean in. You see, once you have a clear picture of what God has called you to do and be, then the difficulty of the journey becomes purposeful, right? The difficulty of the journey has purpose. You may not like it. It may not feel good the whole time, you know? It's not like all of a sudden we're like, you know what? Let's summit this beast. All of a sudden, I'm not tired. All of a sudden, I'm not freezing. Like, this is amazing. No, it wasn't like that. It was still a lot of work, but it was the idea that we were moving towards something that we had put too much energy in to turn back now. And so it's worth it. You're moving towards something. Without that clarity, without that perspective, difficulty becomes something to avoid. If we don't have clarity, then we just say, when it gets hard, I'm out. This is too hard. I didn't sign up for this. And listen, this applies to every area of our life. If you don't have a vision for your health, the minute it gets a little uncomfortable or you want something to eat that you're not supposed to eat, you're going to be like, you know what? I've been good enough. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, okay? <laughs> we do it in our jobs, right? Things get difficult and we're like, you know what? I don't know that this is worth it. I, I don't think I ever wanted to be this, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I never wanted to work here. I'm out. Our classwork, our friendships, 
our marriages. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Is this worth it? You see, if you lack vision for these things, then all you have is what's right before you. And what's right before you, when it gets difficult, it's easy to say, I've seen enough. If this is as good as it gets, I'm out. All this work, to what end? To what end? But it doesn't just end with our physical interactions. It's not just our workplace. It's not just our friendships and our marriages and and all of these other things that get difficult. It's also our spirituality. When all of a sudden we're praying for something and then there's not this huge breakthrough, we go, what the, what's going on? What the heck, God? Like, don't you realize how good of a Christian I am? Like, this is the way it works, doesn't it? Like, I give a little, you give a little. It's really messed up theology. But yet it makes perfect sense if the, the way that we're looking at our lives is when it gets hard, I disengage. So God, when you don't come through, I'm not so sure, so sure you're real you don't come through, then I'm not sure that the the work is worth it. You see, without vision, when difficulty comes, you just evaluate to what end. In fact, it's this lack of future perspective that Paul is addressing in this pericope, this section of scripture. The Corinthians were confused about their bodies, how their bodies could be resurrected. And Paul addresses them and us by giving us some vision and some perspective so that we could wrap our minds around this. And so verse uh, 36, I actually love the way that it starts because this section of scripture actually begins at verse 35. In verse 36, it says, you foolish person. You foolish person. And what it really means is um, a, a, more, a more direct kind of translation is you nonsense person. I love it. I, I wish our language still could be communicated that way. Like you nonsense person. Like what? Like everything you're thinking right now is nonsense. But what he's saying is, you nonsense person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It doesn't come to life unless it dies. And he uses a seed to kind of explain that a plant dies, it produces a seed that that dies, and it falls into the ground. And although life is within it, Inside the seed, there's an entity, all right? So let's kind of put some imagery with it so we can track. Let's say we have a tomato, all right? And a a tomato dies, falls to the ground, it dies. And then as it cracks open, the seeds dry out and they fall into the ground and they start to become fertilized in the dirt. And as they're laying there dead and dormant in in the dirt, that seed then becomes transformed into a plant it turns into an oak tree. (laughs) No, like we just sit around and wait to see what it'll become. Will it be a pumpkin? We're not sure. No, like obviously it turns into a tomato plant. Sorry, spoiler alert, in case you're like, it does? Yes, a tomato seed 100% of the time produces a tomato plant. It's in a different form, but it's still a tomato same entity, all right? And so I want you to hold on to that concept because Paul is is helping them and us lay some groundwork here. In verse 38, he says this, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. This uh, grouping of words, own body. 
It seems fairly simple, but own means same identity. Your own body, your own, your, your identity, your identity. So the same identity, the same entity, if you will. And then body actually means whole person. So it's not just talking about physical. So oftentimes in scripture, where you hear references to whole, where you hear references to body or heart, they're talking about the whole person, the whole entire person, its entire being. And so when he's saying own body, he's saying God gives us our whole person identity, our whole person identity. Uh, my wife's grandmother recently passed away. She's a phenomenal uh, woman of God and has left an amazing legacy, uh, spiritual legacy. And uh, as is typical when you go to a funeral, there's, um, there's pictures, you know, pictures of all different phases of this amazing woman's life. And I'm always struck by it when, when there's uh, someone that passes away and you see these pictures of um, like their birth, them as a baby. And then you see them as a toddler. You're like, it's incredible because I only knew her obviously as a much older woman. And then you, you see these phases of her life, her playing with her brothers and sisters, her siblings and uh, pictures of her teenage years. And you see these snapshots of her life and these moments that are paramount in her development as the woman that she was in her latter years. And then all of a sudden you see her in, in elderly pictures, pictures that I recall her in. And the thing that is incredible about, about that is she was the same person, but in a different vehicle at different phases of her life, right? Like you don't become a different person when you go from baby to toddler or toddler to teenager. It's the same person, just a different vehicle, a different physical vehicle. It's kind of a profound concept when you think about it. You don't spend a lot of time, or I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the fact that, that we are in this different growing vehicle, and yet we're the same person throughout. Have you ever run into someone that you haven't seen for years, and like you kind of do a double take, and you like look at him, and you're like, wait, are you oh my gosh, are you? And then, you know, I, you know, if you're me, you just jump around and then you hug them. And <laughs> no, I don't do that. Uh, but th this moment of like familiarity where you're like, wait, do I know you? And maybe it's in their eyes or you see it in their smile or their laugh. And all of a sudden you realize that you went to high school with them or something like that. And uh, there's this moment where you recognize someone. Paul is saying this because we know and experience these things. And he's laying the groundwork to say the idea of a resurrection body is conceivable for our minds to grasp. It's not beyond our understanding. You see, because the whole person identity remains, but in a different vehicle. We see this throughout the life of, of ourselves, our lives of our children, the lives of our family members. We, we understand this concept of a whole person identity remaining and the vehicle changing. And then something important happens as he kind of talks about the conceivability of a resurrected body. He goes into verse two, 42, where we'll spend a chunk of our time this morning. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. And so at a very simple face value looking at this, you say, okay, perishable means that which can rot and decay. Imperishable means it can't. And so 
one can die and one can't. And although that's true, there's something actually deeper happening. You see, because if you just look at it at face value and you think of perishable versus imperishable, decaying uh, versus non-decaying, it's a quality, right? Quality, a decay or something that can't. But in the Greek, he's actually um, talking about something deeper. He's looking at addressing an actual process. So the words that he uses for perishable and imperishable are in reference to a process. So perishable in the Greek is articulating the process of decay. So not just that it can die, but that there is a process of decay, that there's decreasing capacities, that there's um, the, the beginning of things starting to break down. If you're over the age of 40, you know what I mean. All of a sudden, things don't work quite the way they used to. Your back hurts. You're not sure why. You have pain that used to be like, oh, I didn't realize I had a muscle there. Now you're like, I didn't realize I have bones out of place there. There's greater levels of weakness and faster exhaustion. Simply put, the moment you're born, you begin your journey towards death. (laughs) Yay! We're at church today. (laughs) Woohoo! But it's true. The moment that you are born, although you go through physical changes and you grow physically, you are moving towards death. Sounds so morbid, right? Most of the world around us is attempting to deny this. (laughs) Or they're trying to hide the fact that they're slowly getting older and moving towards death. Why? Why do they do that? Why do we have a thing called plastic surgery? Like, why does that happen? Why do people hide the aging process? It's because the vision that they have for their lives is limited to this, phys- this physical life. Listen, it, if the vision you have is for your physical life, then you're going to do everything you can to prolong it, to deny its decrease, to deny and not want to embrace its aging. And so we do weird things. I witness it all the time. You run into somebody you haven't seen and you're like, oh my goodness, you haven't aged a bit. Like, you liar. What are you talking about? Like, yes, I am. I'm definitely getting older. I'm definitely aging. What they're really saying is, listen, you are doing such a great job at hiding the fact that you're dying. (laughs) You fooled us all. All of us are getting older, but when we look at you, we think it's not happening to you. We think somehow you're outside of time. It's absurd, right? Why do we function this way? It's because we often lack a vision for our life. We lack a vision for life beyond this life. So there's this process of decay, this process of our physical body being broken down. The other word here used for imperishable, it doesn't just mean incapable of death. It's deeper. You see, in the same way that the decay is a process, this word actually means the reversal of decay. It means increasing in strength and life. Isn't that interesting? This is huge. If you can bear with me, if you can connect the dots here, because literally we are born and our physical body, our physical man begins to decay, begins to break down. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, We can submit our lives to him. And according to what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, 
He literally meets with, with Nicodemus and he has a conversation that he articulates as the ability to become born again. He's making reference to being born in the spiritual realm again. And Nicodemus actually misses it. He's like, wait, how do I re-enter my mother's womb? What are you talking about? And he's like, trust me, you'll get it. This is what it means. It means that although our physical man continues to decay, it's literally in a process of decay, as we increase our proximity to Christ, our spirit man becomes stronger more glorious, more radiant, the word of God says. So literally, it's not just saying, hey, there's, there's, in, there's perishable, you're going to die, and then there's imperishable, you're going to be around for eternity. No, it's deeper. It's saying literally that as you have come into this world and you've begun the process of decay, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and he comes in like a flood, all of a sudden your spirit man begins to increase in health in vibrance, in life. You become stronger, more radiant, more glorious. Verse 43a, the beginning part of it says, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Radiance in glory. What's making reference to is that we're no longer bound by the sin of this world. That we don't have to be victimized by the concerns and the worries of this world. That as we physically decay, we can be filled with hope and joy because we're living for something greater. We have a vision for our one and only life that isn't just about the temporal. It's not about the physical. It's not about the stuff. It's not about even the relationships. It's something greater that transcends this life. And so all of a sudden it gives us perspective where all of a sudden when, when things become difficult in our lives, we're not living for this moment. We're transcending this moment. When we look at our kids and the, the joy and the identity and the, the person that they're becoming, we're thinking, wait, it's not about here and now. It's about there and then. Everything is moving towards something greater than this physical life because we're no longer bound by the sin of this world. We can start to live with purpose and vision. Verse 44 says, it is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. It's an interesting concept. We, we have a body for the human realm and a body for the spirit realm. Jesus, as we talked about last week and we heard read this morning, <laughs> Jesus was the first fruit, as we discussed, which, which means he was more than physical, not less. You need to wrap your, your mind around that because when I was growing up, I always thought that like we flutter away, you know, like now we're a spirit. But we see in scripture where when Christ was resurrected, he wasn't simply physical. He was more than physical. And if he was the for, first fruit, if his body is the first fruit example of a resurrected body, then we will have the same capacity to be more than physical, not less than. Kind of opens our minds a little bit to something a little deeper. And that's that we learn that this life matters to life in eternity. That although they're different. They're inextricably connected. That in the same way a tomato seed becomes a tomato plant, our physical body 
this life has impact in our eternity. Maybe we want to disconnect the two. When I was growing up, I wanted to disconnect the two. I wanted to be like, okay, so I live my life for the best here, and I get my get-out-of-hell-free card, right? And, that, and just to make sure I have it, I'm going to pray the prayer every week. Boom, boom, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Oh, my gosh, forgive me. And, and if I could just avoid hell and really enjoy this world, winning, right? That's what we want right there. Boom, wheelhouse, made it. And it's such a ripped-off version of what the fullness of life is. And it's not about the avoidance of, of hell, but it's about literally coming to life. That as our physical body is decaying, our spirit man is starting to grow. That we have the ability as we increase proximity to Christ to have a different and changing perspective. That every relationship looks a little bit differently with the way that we function in this world looks differently because of the mission and vision that God's placed in our hearts and lives. Let's not settle for a lesser version of our life and think only about this temporal realm. Like quite honestly and simply put, who cares? Like, who cares? Like, we know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I realize we have all different types of people in the room, committed Christ follower, all the way to skeptic. The one thing we can all agree on is a couple things, actually. Two things we can agree on. One, all of us die, 100%, okay? Sorry, you weren't ready for that. (laughs) That happens, all right? So all of us die, 100%. The other thing is, when we die, nothing physical disappears to go with that person, right? All of their possessions remain. So why? Why do we live as if this life is the end game? If this life is the end game, and we can quote Paul from last week, live it up. Be merry. Live for this because it's it. When you go, you're gone. But if we have a vision, if we have a belief of something greater and an awareness of something that's in eternity, then the the 120 years here is not about live it up for heaven on earth. Instead, it's how do we live this life so that we can leverage all of it towards the glory of eternity? Because they're connected. They're connected. What you do in this life impacts that life. It impacts your eternity. And we want to separate it be like, oh, but God, aren't you impressed? I worked really hard to get this and to get that and to get that. And he's like, oh, all the stuff. That's amazing. So did you make any disciples? Come again? Yeah, when I, when, when I was leaving, I said, go and make disciples. Did, did you make disciples? Okay, so I went to church. That was kind of like that, right? Right? Okay, um... Did you give to the poor? Did you feed the hungry? Did you visit those that were in need? I, I, I got a lot of stuff that I let. Listen, my son is a good man because I taught him to be a good man. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's good. Did you teach him to, to work hard towards the advancement of the kingdom? Or did you, did you teach him to work hard to just get stuff? I hope this messes with you. I hope it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. It should wreck you all the time. And it's not because we can't have stuff. It's not because this life isn't for us to enjoy. But if we enjoy it as if it's the end game, we've missed it. 
We have to have a perspective and a vision. Otherwise, we're going to say, hey, if this is as good as it gets, let's, let's put it down right here. This vision is great. This is awesome. Let's live life here. And it would be the heart of God, the Holy Spirit himself whispering to you, listen, there is greater things. Don't settle here for a lesser version of your life. Put down the tent stakes and live on a false summit. There's greater things. You're made for something greater, a vision and a purpose that God wants to breathe into your lives, that you would take God risks, that you'd move into places that are difficult. Hear that. They're difficult. Oh, no, I don't want to do hard. Then you don't want to grow. You don't want to be stretched. You want heaven on earth and you're settling for a ripped off version of your life. Commentators say, in the same way that a plant bears witness to its seed, the resurrected body will bear witness to the present body. That a tomato seed produces a tomato plant. What is it that you will produce? What is it that this physical body is going to produce in eternity? And it's so much more than just heaven and hell bigger than that. So the way we live this life is directly impacting our eternity. And for some of us, this can be devastating news. Because it would mean that in eternity, we would reap the consequences of this life. But as we surrender our lives to Jesus, verse 49 says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus took our consequences so that now we can live freely as children of God. So, so Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He took on the consequences so that we could have freedom and a new story in eternity. But it's, it's not simply that. Jesus didn't simply die for your salvation. He died for your salvation so that you could join him on mission. Anything lesser is not walking in the fullness of what he intended. So I've got to ask you, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with it? It's, it's so easy to get wrapped up in here. And listen, I, I have three kids. I know what it's like to be all about kids. I know what it's like to be, you know, in Uber without pay, <laughs> driving kids back and forth and be like, oh my gosh, like, I understand all the pressures and the things of this world, and I'm not saying just dismiss it all, that we become this weird huddled group of people like, we love Jesus, and we're so weird that no one understands us, you know? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, does your vision transcend this physical life, or is it really just about your comfort here? Is it just about what we can do now? I've got to tell you as a testimony to a lot of people, the reason why Centerway exists, and today is our one-year anniversary of our soft launch, okay? But a lot of people stepped out and said, I'm going to do something hard and be uncomfortable. I don't know for how long or what it looks like, but I'm going to leverage all that I am towards something eternal and greater than myself. And that's great. It's amazing. 
It blows my mind. There's people that are in the kingdom of heaven today that would not otherwise be because a group of people said, I'll go. I'll do something hard. But that's not it. That's not even the end. Like, okay, so I received Christ, boom, I helped plant a church. That's a big one. Check. Are we good, God? Is that it? Because that was hard. Do you have a vision for your life that transcends this? Like, what's next? What is it that God's whispering into your heart? What is it that you're being stretched to do? I don't pretend to know, but I know that this text requires action from us. It should be uncomfortable. It should be unsettling. There's a part of your life, there's a a closet in the back that when I was talking about certain things, you're like, ah, no, let's not talk about that. Things are out of balance there. I just want to enjoy this. Can we do Somebody sing a song quick, you know? (laughs) But that's what the gospel does. It just, it fertilizes, it tears up, it tills the soil of our lives and says, listen, there's more, there's greater. Don't be lulled to sleep in church attendance, like walk into the fullness of your one and only life. And so the question that I want you to, to, to contemplate this morning, and this is different. Normally there's, uh, there's more clear handles on the, the application that we give you, but we intentionally wanted this one to be more contemplative in nature. The application is this. What does my life now reveal about my eternity? There's no action there except to have a conversation. And maybe the conversation is with a spouse. Maybe a conversation is with your kids. And maybe the conversation is between you and God alone. What is, what is it that you're revealing? What is your life now? That if your life is a seed and it's dropped into the soil, if you die and it's dropped into the soil, what is it that it will produce in eternity? What is the fruit of your life? What is it revealing? I want you to think about it. For some of you, it's like, wow, I, I have not come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if today I go into the ground, I don't know where I'll spend eternity. And so for, for you this morning, if that's you, the application is rather clear cut. Are you ready to surrender your one and only life to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to say, okay, I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life? And it's that simple. This morning, you can pray it in the quietness of your mind in your chair right now. Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you come, forgive me, be the Lord and leader of my life? For others of us in this room, it goes a little bit further to say, I got my my get out of hell card. (laughs) What am I doing? What am I doing in this life that's going to impact eternity? So this morning, maybe you have to consider whether or not you're living on mission. Are you taking God risks? Are you leaning in and allowing God to stretch you, be uncomfortable, be unsettled, and say, okay, we're doing this for something greater than ourselves because God is growing us. Are you making disciples? I don't know what it is. Like I said, I don't pretend to be the Holy Spirit. But I know that the text requires something from us. And so I want to provide space for us to consider what does my life now reveal about my eternity?
you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. If you want to leave your eyes open, you can. But if you would, just bow your head so you're not distracted as the band comes up. As they do, I, I want you to consider that question. What does my life now reveal about my eternity? And listen, if, it, if it's an uncomfortable thing, lean into that. If, if ever there's a time and a space where we've created margin for that. We're going to go into some songs in just a moment and as a response to just engage the Lord this morning. But if you need to remain in your seat and allow the Holy Spirit to maybe reorder some priorities or reconsider some things, the conversations that you have, the priorities that you make, I just want to provide space for us to hear from the Lord this morning. Lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that we're not uh, we're not victim to our own works. Lord, that that you took that cup of wrath and you drank from it in our place. That you took the consequences of our sin so that we could have freedom because of who you are and what it is that you have done. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would search our hearts, that you would show us the areas of our lives that need to be redirected, that need to be refocused. We simply declare ourselves available this morning for you to make us uncomfortable, for you to challenge us to the difficult, for you to fill our hearts and minds with a vision what it is you could do with our one and only lives if we would just really fully surrender it to you.